Today, church, we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Stand. And this, this whole series, we, we've talked about so many ways that God has called us to stand. First, we talked about how we're called to be stand out. Then for Father's Day, man, we talked about being mighty men and standing in the gap for our families. Man, we talked about standing strong. We talked about standing in the fire, standing in faith. And today, church, we're going to wrap it up with talking about standing in God's love. John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Churches, we're talking about standing in God's love. How many of you have had moments in your life or, or, or maybe long seasons in your life where, where you're not sure, you're not sure about God's love for you. It's likely that maybe what you're doing is that you're thinking about the wrong kind of love. You know, I've told you many times from the pulpit, we've taken that world, that word as a society, and we've really distorted it, right? We've really distorted that word love. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to look at several different types of love. And we're going to be looking at two of them. The very first one is this, the type of love that loves because the object is valuable. The type of love that loves because the object is valuable. And this kind of rolls into the way we look at the word love in today's society. You know, there's that love that, that loves because that object means something to you, right? It, it, it could be that the most, the most common type of love is that you love like your car, Man, I worked hard for that car. So you, you make that statement, I love that car. See, a love that loves because the object is valuable It's the most common type of love that we see in today's society. It's a love that we know well. You love that thing. Maybe it's you, you're sitting there looking at your countertops. I'm like, man, I love my countertops. I saved a long time to get these things, right? It, it's an issue that we struggle with. But maybe church, every time that you look at things that way. Every time that you're looking at something in life and this love is because you believe it's valuable, man, it's something that God has called us to look at it differently. See, there's the love that loves because the object is valuable, but then there's also, church, an issue there. The issue is this, that many of us have never felt valuable. How many of you have ever in your lifetime, you didn't feel valuable, you didn't feel worthy, you didn't feel like you were worth anything? Maybe it's you've never felt worthy, maybe because you personally have never lived up to your own expectations, maybe it's that you've never lived up to God's expectations, so you don't feel worthy. That's the first type of love, right? The, the one that loves because the object is valuable. The second type of love is today we really want to focus on is this. The love that loves and gives value to the object. It's the kind of love that God has for us. The love that loves and gives value to the object. You know, let me explain it this way. Think about your favorite childhood toy. You know, like your cuddle toy. Maybe you have one as a child growing up. Maybe your, your kids have one of those. It, it's... One that you had, you know, maybe it's a, a bear, maybe it's a rabbit, maybe it's a monkey, you might, it might even be your blankie, whatever it might be, you had that favorite cuddle toy, and you gave it a name, right? You, you, you gave it a name, and, and your cuddle toy church, it wasn't perfect, was it? 
That thing was not perfect. Chances are it was very, very flawed. Maybe it had a hole in it. You know, maybe it was torn. Maybe it was missing one eyeball or the eyeball was just hanging out of its socket, right? On the cheek of it. But you loved it a lot. I mean, you, you carry that thing everywhere you go, right? It was one of those things that you've left your house to go to Walmart with your kids and suddenly your child is calling for their blankie. I mean, you're three, 400 yards away from home. Guess what you do? You turn around and you go back because it's not worth two hours at Walmart where your child crying for that cuddle toy, right? It's one of those things right there. And even though your toy wasn't perfect, even though it was flawed, the fact is you loved that toy. One of my kids had a, a, a toy that was very special to him. It was a Paddington bear. It was just a, a real small Paddington bear. And listen, that toy wasn't expensive. That toy, it, it didn't do tricks. It wasn't like a collector's items. It was nothing fancy like they have today, you know, where you push on the stomach of the stuffed animals like, I love you, Jimmy. You know, it's nothing like that. This bear didn't do any of that. And do you realize all the time that he had it, it kept looking worse and worse, right? You would have to fight for them in the middle of the night, right? You, I'm going to steal that thing right now. I got to wash it because it stinks, right? You can smell that thing in your car. It's gross. And so you, this thing keeps getting dirtier and dirtier. But you know what? If we would have tried to sell that bear at a yard sale, we wouldn't even got a dime out of that thing. But my son loved that bear. That thing had value to him. I'm talking about this bear was dirty. One eye was gone. But man, it meant the world to him. I want you to get this this morning, church. It's this. This is exactly how God loves us. It's exactly how God loves us. You, you and I, we really and truly, don't take offense to this, we are nothing but rag dolls. We really are. We're nothing but rag dolls. We're flawed. We are broken. We are wounded. Man, sometimes we are messy and even dirty, aren't we? God knows all your flaws. There is nothing hidden from our God. He knows about all your flaws. He knows about all your scars that you have on the outside. Listen, church, he even knows about the secrets that you have on the inside. I mean, you are a rag doll, but here's the key. You are God's rag doll. That's who you are. You are God's rag doll. And so how do we know, church, how do we know that God loves us that much? Man, check this out in Romans chapter 5, if you'll look at this with me. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It wasn't this deal that he was waiting for you to get to a certain level. This ain't a video game, right? He, he wasn't waiting for you to get to a certain level, for you to be so perfect, for you to be so clean. No, the Bible says while we were still sinning, while we were in the middle of it, while we were still disobeying God, while we were still breaking God's heart, he displayed his love for us. He displayed his love for us. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. And this is where God revealed his love for us, church. This is where he revealed his love for us. And now, here's how it goes, church. He now saves us by grace. 
He saves us by grace because the guilt of sin has been removed by the death of Jesus Christ. That guilt is now gone. But see, I want you to hear this. I know you've heard it before, but I want you to hear it like you've never heard it before. I want you to feel it like you've never felt it before today. I want you to get this. I'm, not, I'm talking about not just hearing it in your mind, church, but feeling it in your heart this morning and believing it in your heart. It's this, church, that our God loves you with unconditional, immeasurable love. That's the God that we serve today. It's the kind of love that doesn't look, right? It doesn't look for what is worthy in an object because none of us, not one of us, are worthy of God's love. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. God's love makes you worthy. God's love will make you worthy. That's how good he is. That is how powerful he is. It's his grace, church. It's his goodness. That's who he is. This, in this love, it's not just an action, man. We, we're so stuck on this action in love, aren't we? I mean, think about it. If your husband or your wife, they're treating you good, oh, they love me because I can see it. I can feel it, right? Your kids, man, when they want something, they tell you how much they love you, right? And you can feel it. You can see it. But it goes deeper than that. In this love, it isn't just an action, church. It's what God does. It's his very essence of who he is. It's exactly who he is. Man, if you'll look with me in 1 John, I really want to tear this apart this way. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I'm going to just shoot down a little trail here for you real quick. This hit me this morning when you think about this. A side note on verse 8, this is another test, church, of being a child of God. See, another test of being a child. It's not asking you if you love daddy. It's not asking you if you love mama. It's not asking you if you love your children. It's not asking you if you love your wife or your husband. It's not asking you if you love your kids or your kissing cousins. It doesn't matter about that. Do you love other believers? That's the question. Do you love other believers? See, the way that we can show our love is by our concern. Our concern for others, which is going to result in us being willing to help them. So God is love. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 11. It says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9 says this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So I ask you this morning, church, are you loving on people the way you should be? Do you recognize God's love? God is love. And so how is God, how is God showing us love? How does God show love among us this morning? It's that he sent his one and only son. You know how the story goes. We talk about it every Christmas, right? He sent his only, one and only son. He, the virgin gave birth to a son, and the Bible says they called him Jesus. And he sent his son so that we might live through him. 
He sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, church, for our sins. And see, this verse is powerful, but it's way more powerful when you think about who wrote it. You ever read something like, oh, that's cool, and then you find out who wrote it, like, oh, wow, that's like a big deal. Well, I want to break this down for you about John. I'm going to give you a little bit of Bible trivia today, okay? Some of you, I hope you really pass this. This is basic 101 Bible trivia. Who wrote the book of John? Nobody better say Peter. John wrote it, right? Uh, Not John the Baptist. It's not John the Baptist. He was in heaven by this time. This was John who had a brother by the name of James. He had a brother by the name of James, and they were Jesus' disciples. But here's what I really like. See, these guys are not what you would think of like disciple material, James and John, they really were not like disciple material. Because we have this image in our head, right? Jesus was walking along. Hey, he's picking out his disciples. Hey, you 12, come with me. Oh, good guys. They're solid. You know, they're going to do all these great things with Jesus. That is not the case whatsoever. See, these guys didn't graduate from the top of their class. See, these guys weren't even the best behaviorless. Guess what? Over half of you, you could qualify as a disciple, right? They were rough. They were loud. They were overbearing. They were borderline rude, church. James and John, they were noisy. They were self-assertive. Basically, I'm going to put myself in your business kind of deal. And they were fishermen by reputation. By reputation. Not by trade. By reputation. And see, these guys, church, James and John, they had a nickname. The Bible tells us what their nickname. See, their nickname wasn't. It was not gentle lambs. Their nickname wasn't the Bible brothers. See, these two guys, they were known as the sons of thunder. They were known as the sons of thunder. Not sure what they did. The Bible doesn't make it clear, completely clear, what they did to earn the title of the sons of thunder. But Luke chapter 9, if you read all of Luke chapter 9, it will give you a glimpse of why they were called this. I'll give you the lay down of it. See, Jesus was coming into town and, and the people weren't treating Jesus well, we'll say. They weren't treating him well as he's coming into town. And so... They weren't welcoming him. They weren't going, you know, above and beyond. It wasn't a big deal. And let me tell you what the sons of thunder, let me tell you what they did when people weren't welcoming Jesus. First, I'll tell you what they didn't do. They didn't say, oh, let's invite them to a Bible study. They didn't say, hey, you know what? Let's bake them some brownies. We'll win them over. They'll start loving Jesus once they eat our brownies. It was nothing like that. They didn't say that. See, Luke chapter 9, verse 54 It says, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? They're not the people you want to be your door greeters at your church, okay? That's for sure. They earned the title of sons of thunder. Immediately when they saw that somebody wasn't treating Jesus good, the disciples, these two disciples, like, come on, let's get them. Let's burn them up. Let's fire them out. Let's do that. This was the sons of thunder. This was the guy who didn't just start the fights. John was the guy that finished them, all right? See, this was the dad that got kicked out of his 10-year-old soccer game and embarrassed his kids. This was the guy who was always in trouble 
and he found trouble wherever he went. But here's the cool part about John, church. See, then one day, John started spending time with Jesus. The day came along, he started spending time with Jesus. I'm talking about every moment of every day. These guys traveled together. They did things together. Man, Jesus was teaching, showing them all those wild things that he did. And John didn't do anything, church, to earn Jesus' love. He didn't do anything to earn it. You know what? Jesus just simply loved John. Just simply loved him. We don't know when it happened. <laughs> Might have took some time. You, know, you, you all know that friend, like, they'll grow on me eventually, right? I'm going to keep them beside me here. We don't know when it happened, but Jesus just simply loved John. He simply loved him. Little by little, John's identity, the way that he saw himself even, started to change. See, it started to change. And how do we know this? Man, we covered this last spring, right? During Easter time. There are three times in the gospel that John referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. Three times. Remember, we're talking about the sons of thunder, like, burn them all, Jesus. Now he's like, Jesus loves me. I'm the one that Jesus loves. He was no longer the son of thunder, church. He was no longer John the hothead. He was no longer John the screw-up. That's not who he was, but he was the one that Jesus loved. And here's the really cool part. John recognized himself in this way. He recognized that Christ loved him. And I believe with all my heart as I'm standing up here this morning, I believe with everything in me that God has sent me here today because there's somebody in this room who needs to hear that? Somebody needs to hear that. And I'm supposed to tell you that no matter what your parents said about you, no, no matter where you fell short, no matter how somebody else made you feel, no matter what you thought, no matter what you said, no matter what you did, church, you are the one that Jesus loves. He loves you. You're the one. I don't want you just to hear it in your mind this morning. I really do. I want you to, to feel it in your heart. You are the one that Jesus loved. Jesus told the story, right, that if a shepherd has 100 sheep, he told that story, if the shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, one of them gets lost, what does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Why? Because he loves that missing one. He loves that one who is lost. And church, I believe this is for someone today. I want you to hear it. I want you to feel it. I want you to understand it. Man, if you are the one that's lost, that he loves you and he's coming after you. He's looking for you. He's seeking you out. You are the one that Jesus loves. It doesn't matter what you did before. Church, it doesn't matter how dark you feel this morning. It doesn't matter the regrets that you carry or the shame that you've endured. You're still the one. You are the one that Jesus loves. See, this isn't a statement of pride. When John's saying this, it isn't like a prideful statement. Here's what it is, church. It's a statement of truth. He was speaking truth. And that is how God is. Do you realize that he is here right now? 
that he is here, he's loving on you? Do you realize that he is actively, I mean actively loving on you at this very moment? Church, it isn't, the amazing thing is that God didn't just shout it from heaven. You know, he didn't just stay up in heaven and just say, hey, I love you. It wasn't like that at all. See, it wasn't that, that drive-by love. You know what I'm talking about? It was purposeful. He realized, like he said, I'm really going to show him. I'm going to come to earth in man form. I'm going to be there. I'm going to touch them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to do some really cool things. It wasn't a drive-by love. And we live in a society today, man, we do a lot of that drive-by loving, don't we? We love them from a distance. This Friday, me and my, my son Jake and, and my nephew Brandon, we were building a deck for my mom, and it was like 95 degrees. It was not deck-building weather, but it had to be done. And I got to the point, you ever get to that point you're just so frustrated with everything, and you're like, I just got to get out of here. You know, I mean, your skin's crawling, you're anxious, you're like, I just got to get out of here. And so we were done. I'm talking about, it was like prison break. We were running out of there. We were loading the tools. We were getting out of there real fast, and, and, and we're pulling away in the car. And, and something I've realized over time, I, I don't know exactly. I'm pinpointing it. It means I'm not old enough. You get to a certain age in life that when your kids or your grandkids are leaving, you always go to the porch, and you stand there, and you just watch them as they pull away, or if it's wintertime, you go to the window, in the big picture window, and you watch them pull away, and I don't always understand, because like, my kids are leaving, they're like, I'm leaving, I'm saying, see ya, I love you, <laughs> I'm staying on the couch, <laughs> be good, be safe, but there comes that point where you kind of, you got to go out, you got to watch it, right, I'm going to see you go away, but you know what, so we, we, we were packing up the tools real fast and we're getting out of there and I'm jumping in the car and I'm pulling away. There's my mom standing on the deck and I remember something that Jake said to me that day. He said, you ain't even gonna tell your mom you love her. And so I shout out the window, mom, I love you. <laughs> Drive by love, right? But you know what? God doesn't work that way. I'm talking, he's purposeful, church. I mean, he's very purposeful. It's not a drive-by love with him. I'm talking about he showed his love on this earth. He was very purposeful. See, when Mary gave birth to the son, they called him Jesus, the Bible tells us, right? Why did they call him Jesus? Because he was to save the people from their sins. How many of you have a relative or a friend that honestly needs to be saved from themselves? I mean, you're looking at them like, oh, man, someone got to save you from yourself. You are a mess. You caused all your own problems. It's not everyone else's fault. It's you. You're the one that's doing it. And so Jesus came to save the people from their sins, from their struggle, from their heartache, all the garbage that we've accumulated. And so what does it mean to sin? Man, we live in a world that doesn't like to talk about sin, don't we? Even the church today doesn't like to talk about sin because it's a not a popular thing to talk about in our culture because everybody's like, oh, it's all right for you. It's all right for you, but I don't believe that. You know, we kind of have our own thing going on. We classify everything differently. See, sin is this, church. It's doing your own thing. Boil it down right there. You're not doing God's thing. You're doing your own thing. 
You're not doing what God has called you to. You're doing your own thing. See, sin means this. It means missing the mark. It means falling short of God's standard. And here's the kicker. We've all done it. Every single one of us. You know, I've done it too many times to count. That's for sure. So have you. (laughs) Don't be looking at me all dirty. You have too. This is why we don't feel worthy, church. This is why we don't feel worthy is because we fall so short of what God has called us to do, right? How many times have you drawn the line and say, I'm talking, you bug out that one thing in your life. It's nagging you. You know you got to get rid of it. You know. You know God's word. You know the Holy Spirit's convicting you. are like, I need to quit doing this. I need to get rid of this. And, and you, oh, I'm drawing the line. I'm done. No more. By noon, you've done it again, right? You struggle. You can't let it go. That's, that's what I love when Paul said this. He said this. He said, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. Man, I'm telling you, if I would have been standing there when Paul said it to me, I would have looked at him and said, what are you talking about? It's a a riddle, isn't it? Here's what he's saying, church. He's talking about the conflict of two natures. The two natures. The first I is the old nature. Yeah, living your life, your old life. I'm talking about all the garbage. Living outside of God. And then the other I is the new nature. And the new nature is what I should do. And the old nature is what I always end up doing. And you realize as you give your old nature back to God for the 100th time, we feel like there's no hope, don't we? The enemy convinces you that you ain't ever going to cut it. He's whispering in your ear and, and telling you that you might as well give up because you ain't going to make it. He's telling you that you are no good. Church, I want to remind you, you are a work in progress. You really are. It makes me crazy when the church, you know, someone will come forward, wants to humble themselves before Christ and accept him as their Lord and Savior. And, you know, they're baptized. We're all celebrating as a church. And then you see them over at Walmart like the next week. And you heard something foul come out of your mouth. And you're like, yeah, they didn't mean it. Preacher should have held him under longer till he saw bubbles, right? It didn't take. Church, you are a work in progress. You are continuing to grow and develop. And this is the reason we feel unworthy of God's love is because we have sinned against God. And that is why I want to tell you, church, that is why I want to tell you about a God who loves with a different kind of love. It's not the kind of love that you and I love people with. It's a different kind of love. It's a love because the object, it's not the love that because the object is valuable. It's the kind of love that gives value to the one it loves. You are valuable, church. I want you to hear it. I want you to feel it. I honestly, you know what? I want you to believe it. You are the one. You are the one. Listen, whatever you have done, you got to let it go. Whatever's in your past, church, you got to let it go. Whatever your struggle is, man, you got to let it go. And too many times we want to Hold on to our garbage, don't we? 
I believe every single one of you who's ever raised kids or lived in a large family household, you go in the kitchen, man, you look at the garbage can, and it's overflowing, and nobody sees it. I mean, it's gotten so bad that, you know, your family goes somewhere, and you come back together, and, and the kids all walk in the house like, man, what stinks? You walk up in the kitchen, there's the garbage, but nobody sees it. And so finally, you get that garbage, you take it out. The garbage man comes and takes that garbage, and he takes it away, right? And I want to know right now, how many of you have ever called the garbage man four days later and said, man, I miss that stuff. Will you bring it back? I miss that clutter. I miss that nasty smell. I miss the trash being all over my living space. You don't do that, do you? So why in the world, church, when you give something to God, why are you picking it back up four days later? Why are you holding it so close? Why aren't you even taking it out? He's telling you to let it go. See the shame, the pain, and the regret, whatever it is you have, church, you let it go. You remember, he still loves you. Man, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, I love when Paul wrote this. You got to really get this this morning. He says this in verse 38, Romans chapter 8, verse 38, he says this. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. I want to stop right there. I love how he comes right out the gate with it. He says, I am convinced. He's saying, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. He's saying, I am convinced. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I know it. I know that nothing can separate me from God's love. Not my garbage. Not my sin. Not my shame. Not the fact of who I used to be and the fact that I just picked it back up for a day yesterday. He's saying, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Check out what else it says. It says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, how many of you are living your life that way? That you are thoroughly convinced that nothing will separate you from that love? I'm talking about not your fears for today. How many of you are worrying right now? You're worrying about something, maybe your kids, maybe about the future of your job, maybe it's about your marriage, neither your fears for today. How many of you, man, you know what? You're even worrying for tomorrow. You ain't got enough to worry about today. You, you're getting advances on tomorrow. Say, I'll take that too. Paul says, for I am convinced. He's saying that he knows. And so this morning, church, I'm asking you right now, how many of you know? that nothing can separate you from God's love. This morning as I asked the praise team to come up here, I want you to understand that salvation is a love story. It is, man. Salvation is truly a love story. You know, we love him because he first loved us. He loved you first, church, even before you were born. 
you can't even comprehend that. He was in love with you. And nothing can separate you from that love except for the barriers that you throw up. He's still loving on you. He's not cut any ties from you, but you know what some of us do? We throw that barrier up, then we can't see it, we can't hear it, we can't feel it, we can't even recognize it. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're not experiencing the love of God the way he designed it. I'm talking about you're not feeling anything. You ever had those moments in your life where you're just kind of numb? Maybe you came to church feeling that exact same way. You're like, man, who knows? I'm coming because I have to. I'm coming because it's a habit. I'm coming because I ain't got nothing else to do. And you're coming to church and you're just numb. Maybe it's circumstances of life. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you got some bad news at the hospital. Regardless of what it is, you're sitting here today numb. And you're not experiencing the love of God the way that he has called for us to experience it. The way that he designed it. The way that he ordained it. And man, it's not just for your neighbor. It's not just for the person sitting in front of you. Listen to me this morning. It's for you. The love that he has for you is designed for you. And so this morning, if you're not experiencing that love of God, I want to tell you, you probably have some barriers up. Maybe it's your sin in your life. Maybe it's you're ashamed of some things that you've done. Church, God's love is not based on your goodness. God's love is not based on your performance. God's love is not based on how you live your life. But I'll tell you this. It is based on who God is. And God is love. The Bible says this to us. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, listen to me, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, he will forgive your sins and he will make you brand new so that you can experience that love properly, so that you can live a life that was created for you. And so this morning, if there's someone sitting here today, you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. I'm talking about you are living your life the way you want to and you're empty you're accumulating garbage in your life man you're sitting here today and you are numb and you're like I don't even know what it feels like to be loved by my God today is the day I want you to know you can experience that man if you're living your life outside of Jesus Christ I really and truly I want to encourage you there's nothing more important than what I'm getting ready to say right now that has been said in this whole service. If you are living your life outside of Christ, I really and truly, I want to encourage you, you come forward, man. We will have some people up here who will pray for you. I'm talking about you are submitting yourself. You're saying, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I need, I desperately need a Savior. And he promises us he will make us brand new. Don't mean you just jump right back in and live your life wild and free. No, it means that you are now a new creation and you are going the other way now. You're not going back to your old life. You might have slip-ups. You might have moments, but you're not going to go live that life. You're going to go live the other way. So if that hits you hard this morning, 
I want to encourage you to come forward. And for the rest of you believers, man, maybe you've been a believer in Jesus Christ longer than I've been alive. But you know what? You're not experiencing the love right now because you've forgotten that nothing can separate you from the love of your God. I want to encourage you too. Maybe you need to pray about something. Maybe you need to turn something over. And I want to encourage you to, you come up here too. God has something for you. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I really and truly want to encourage you to respond this morning.